I'm excited to welcome you to the 200th episode of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and today we're going to dive into a foundational principle of partnership that we don't discuss often enough. You see, at Ultimate Partner, we believe that having the right mindset, whether it's a growth mindset, an infinite mindset, or a partnership mindset, sets up partnership leaders to achieve their greatest results. So welcome to the 200th episode of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. This is the Ultimate Guide to Partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Menzione, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Menzione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and today I welcome Mike Gervais is both a friend and a high-performance leader and coach. He works with CEOs, Olympic athletes, and individuals from all walks of life to unlock their potential. He's also the author of a new book, The First Rule of Mastery. I'm so excited to welcome him back for his fourth appearance on Ultimate Guide to Partnering where we'll dive in on this new book and how its principles apply to help you achieve your greatest results. I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion as much as I enjoyed welcoming back Mike Gervais. Mike, so glad to welcome you back to Ultimate Guide to Partnering for our 200th episode. 200. That's what I'm talking about. Congratulations. Thank you. And how fun that I get to sit with you at 200. So thank you for having me back. And congratulations on the community that uh, you've built and supported and helped influence like in really positive ways. So really nice, nicely done. We normally have you back for the holiday special, right? We've done this now three years in a row, but we have a special reason to have you on early. You're releasing your first written book, right? Because you've done an audio book, you've done a course, The First Rule of Mastery. So I really want to dive in here. Can you tell our listeners about the book and why you wrote it? Yes, thank you. Okay, The First Rule of Mastery essentially is to work from the inside out, to invest in your invisible world, which is some of the most powerful sets of processes and practices that haven't sized impact on not only your performance, but the quality of your life. So this is a book about the science of excellence. And essentially, excellence to us means to me means the ability to be at home with yourself wherever you are. And now if you take that idea and add it to mastery, it's the ability to be at home with yourself wherever you are. And the mastery piece is to have the ability to artistically express yourself in said environments. And so this is the first rule of mastery. And I'll tell you how it started, Vince, is that I wrote an article uh, to HBR about this thing that I had privately struggled with. And it was this thing that was getting in the way of my life. And I first noticed it when I was 15, that I was over-indexing and over-caring on what other people were thinking of me. Mm -hmm. And I was conforming and sometimes contorting and I was shape-shifting. And I built these excellent social skills to be able to read a room and then fit in. But I was living life on other people's terms. 
and I was living life for their approval, for their my fear of their rejection. And it wasn't clinical. It wasn't like I was, again, I'm a, a classically trained psychologist, so it didn't rise to that level, but it certainly was not allowing me to be fully free, to really go for it in life. Because I had this extra little variable that I was accounting for, which is, are they going to approve of me? <laughs> is this okay in their eyes? Or are they going to push me right out of the tribe? And 24 months after I wrote the article, HBR called and said, okay, look, you were the number one downloaded article for two years in a row. Wow. Let's write a book. <laughs> so I wow. said, okay, that sounds fun. <laughs> so I dug into the science of what is this thing? Why did it ping so many people and really touch a nerve in the business world? Come to find out I wasn't alone. The world's best athletes and executives and artists that you mentioned at the top, they were in it with me too. And come to find out that apparently the entire HBR community vibed with it. Yeah. So I think it's available to most of us. And I'm really excited to share some of the best practices. This translates so well into the principles that I teach around what makes successful partnering and mindset being the first principle, which is my first rule in, in a way. But this mastery of this first rule is just so important. You mentioned HBR, right? Obviously, this is coming at it from an organizational perspective. And we talk to organizations, we profess to help organizations with successful partnering. And I want to translate it here for our listeners who are mostly in the partnership and organi technical organization space. A lot of the organizations that you've worked with, Microsoft being one of them. And I was wondering how we could talk about that specifically. How does this apply to how we show up in, at work and then how we shape organizations and how we drive successful organizations? Well, I think the cost is immense across organizations. Let's first start with the individual. The, the cost here of this chronic excessive worry about what they might think of me later is I think one of the greatest constrictors of one's potential. And it shows up in really benign ways mm. when you're at a social event or you're at lunch or you're walking in a hallway or wherever it might be, and you're checking your phone for the purpose to look busy or important or as if you're in demand. That's FOPO. FOPO is laughing at a joke that you don't quite think is cool or funny or kind even. That's FOPO. FOPO also shows up when... Um, you don't, you're holding a cup, uh, an alcohol cup at a party and you don't really want to drink, but you don't want to be the weird one. FOPO shows up in weird, non-obvious ways. And so the deeper cost is you're living life on other people's terms. So their first principles, what they think is acceptable now has become your source of acceptance. And there is an all outsourcing of your self-esteem, your self-worth, your self-confidence to other people. So there, again, you're living in line with their principles. What ends up happening is you don't really live towards what you're capable of because your first dictum is to follow the brain's dictum. And this three pounds of tissue that sits in our skull is designed for safety. And yes, we're, our ancestry figured out how to help us fight wildebeest. Okay. Your ancestry and my ancestry did that just fine. Okay. The second part of survival that's really important and maybe under um, talked about is that our ancestry also your lineage and my lineage figured out how to be accepted by the tribe mm. because being pushed out of the tribe hundreds of thousands of years ago 
was nearly a death sentence. It was, it's too hard to hunt and gather and forge and create a fire and shelter and protect your, maybe your spouse and kids and a couple cousins, the six of you trying to figure out how to survive the wild as opposed to being in the pack of the 600. It's, it was a near death sentence. For the brain to, in modern times, to tune to acceptance and tune to the slightest hint of rejection is like the origin for FOPO, fear of people's opinions. And the cost is great to human potential. The cost is even greater, I think, to organizational potential. We don't speak up. No, you bring up some really great and valid points here, right? Because as partner leaders, we are generally trailblazing. We are the people in the room who are saying the things that are more provocative around why we should operate differently, right? We're Sometimes we are in conflict with the chief revenue officer, the chief marketing officer, even the CEO, in fact, who is following a rule or a methodology around direct sales. And yet we're coming in the room and we have to take that risk, right? We have to lead a new charge. We need to trailblaze, as I mentioned, specifically. And if we're at fear of our own risk, right? As you mentioned, like waking up at three o'clock in the morning, worrying about, let's call it the crocodiles or the alligator in the room, we're not going to show up that way. We're not going to show up as leaders. We're going to be thinking behind in our own minds, what issues we're having to deal with, are are our jobs at risk? And then going in the room, we're not going to be as convicted in our principles in helping to shape the right opinions and strategy for the organization. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, you are nailing it because I love the frontier language. What's really important, if you want to live the good life, if you want to push on the edges of what's possible, from an organizational and a a personal life, psychology is going to matter. Your psychology is going to matter. The way that you use your mind, the way that you experience emotions is going to matter. And so that's the whole focus of this book is, I just want to pull back the curtain on the power of it, give another lens into it. It also squares nicely with my life purpose, which is to help unlock the potential within people. And I wanted to illuminate this process that lives just beneath the surface where people can recognize how they're thinking and behaving in response to the perceived judgments of others and how that shows up and hopefully provide the skills to help them make different choices. And in an organizational setting, it's compounded because that is the social world that matters so much to so many of us. And it's not social media, them out there, the 200 people or 200,000 people on your social media accounts, it's the social aspect of the people that are responsible for you being included in the thing that is providing for your family. So the social pressure inside of Teams meetings and our in-person meetings or board meetings, like it's intense. (laughs) And so it's right below the surface for most of us, that pressure to succeed, especially at an early age where we are we're bombarded with external rewards and metrics and validation and FOPO is just running rampant when you add social media to the mix. But for us adults that came from a richly valued performance obsessed culture where there's a fixation on how well we perform and that has seeped into work and um, life in a way that is uh, I don't want to use the word unprecedented, but it's different than it's ever been before. And 
So what happens in organizations is we don't raise our hand. We don't want to push against the fray too much. We mm-hmm. play it safe, play it small. We don't really go for it. And in return, the organization doesn't thrive in the way it could. And in return, we never really get to know what it's like to live that forward-facing experience where we're really pushing into our potential. So I think the cost is great, both individually and from a organizational standpoint. You hit a point on playing it small, right? We've talked about mindfulness, right? You taught mindfulness. You got me meditating a couple of years ago, and that has made a profound impact on my ability to uh, apply towards my own individual uh, performance and achieve things beyond what I expected and move from being small. If I'm a partner leader, what would you tell me to do differently if I'm dealing with fear of other people's opinions? Like, would you, if you were counseling me, what would you tell me to do differently? And what does the book prescribe? Okay. One, I think you're asking the right question because the first order of business is to recognize that it is a hidden epidemic and it's happening amongst so many, evidenced by the, the chord that it struck on the HBR article. So the first step is to recognize that it's likely happening for your teammates, for your direct reports. It might be happening for you as well. And just to bring awareness to it. And instead of trying to scamper around the world, trying to please others and having people think that we matter to, and outsourcing that to their approval of us, the idea is to to weave it into a narrative where you bring it out of the shadows and you talk about it in the way that David Foster Wallace told a story. One of the great poets and writers told a story about two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. And he nods at the two young fish and says, morning boys, how's the water? And then the two young fish swim on for a little bit, not recognizing the the question. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? <laughs> so the older fish's question here, how's the water, is meant to help the young fish think about their own reality and the things that are they're so ingrained in their existence that they fail to even notice them. I think that's what FOPO is. Yeah. I think it's one of the most important hidden issues in plain sight. But until we recognize that it is the air that we breathe, the water that we swim in. It's a little bit like the movie Sixth Sense, like where the ghosts, they're everywhere. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening. So just bringing awareness to it and having the conversation. And this is, I'll give you another fun story is I was, I spent time in Formula One and at the end of race debriefs, what would happen for the team, and this is one of the top winning teams in the league, is the, the two heads of departments. At the end of the debrief, it's still intense. The noise from the track is still happening. Headphones are on just 100 yards from the racetrack. And the two principals would say, all right, here's where I screwed up on today's race. Or here's a mistake that I made that I need to go sort out. Or here's something I learned I didn't even know that was part. So they were inoculating the fear of people's opinions by stepping into a place of vulnerability. So FOPO, fear of people's opinions, is born out of not wanting to be rejected. Right. So when somebody that has the potential to create air cover, when somebody ha- like the leader, when some when those folks are able to step into a place of vulnerability and say, here's where I screwed up and here's a mistake I made. And I'm not even sure how this happened, but I need to go investigate that the others go, oh, 
This is about the purpose. This is about the mission. This is not about one's identity. So how do you do it? Increase the awareness of it to create some air cover by being vulnerable, but you're doing it in a way to create psychological safety for other people. And when you do that, you get people to feel more invested in the purpose and the mission as opposed to their identity. Like I said, purpose-based identity is the off-ramp to one of the significant on-ramps to FOPO. So the on-ramp to FOPO is a performance-based identity. It's this idea that I am what I do and how good I am as a person is related to how good I am at what I do. And it becomes this snake eating its tail experience again, where we just don't quite realize how to get out of that, that interlocking loop of just wanting to look good based on how we, how well we perform. That's one of the reasons we're so exhausted. Isn't it also true that we have so many thoughts, let's I think it's 60 or 70,000 thoughts a day. And the fact that we pick up our phone first thing in the morning is first thing we do is look at our Facebook or Instagram our LinkedIn account. We're looking to see how many likes we have. We're looking for that validation and we're spending our time there and then questioning, comparing ourselves to other people versus focusing in on the objective or the goal, like quieting the mind. I know you've talked about this. I'm coming back to some of your earlier principles around quieting the mind, around getting mindful and really thinking about what is it? What is the objective that I'm trying to achieve? Isn't that it, Mike? Yeah. So you're squaring two ideas, which I love. You're threading these two together, which is unless you have the ability to work from the inside out and you become schooled or learned on how your thoughts and emotions work together, you're just going to grind. And that the cost of being a grinder, and listen, we all need to work and we all do need to grind, but grinding only is a path to exhaustion. And so until you go upstream to learn how thoughts, your thoughts and emotions work together, you you find that you're constantly in the rapids of life as opposed to the upstream watching what's happening and being able to guide where your boat goes rather than just like, why am I always in the rapids? And I think that practice of mindfulness has been such an important one for me and so many, and the research is so clear. It begs the question, why are we not doing it? Why are we not as an organization investing in a, one of the more incredible psychological practices of mindfulness? And the answer that I've come to learn is twofold. One is uh, many leaders are operating from fear. And so they've got this tension about meeting quarterly deadlines or meeting the market demands. And so they say they turn to their direct reports with that anxiety, whether it's obviously expressed or not, but they're trying to extract high work ethic and extract talent, or I'm sorry, the the best out of people to give to the purpose or the mission of the company, but not showing them how to refuel and replenish, Mm -hmm. not showing them how to work like from settling into the present moment, as opposed to being anxious about what's coming next. They're not, we're not yet showing people. And again, I didn't make this explicit big sport, elite sport, which is where I come from, they're about 10 to 15 years ahead of big business. And in in big sport, it's a daily practice of recovery, sleeping, eating, napping. And you say, I can't take a nap. You can take 12 minutes. 
to quiet down. Maybe you don't fully fall asleep, but you can take time to find those moments to downregulate in a purposeful way. I can go on and on about best practices of recovery so that you can work with great intensity when you're in it. And mindfulness is one of those great core capabilities. And in big sport right now, people are meditating and it's not suggested go meditate later. They are meditating in the rhythm of their business. It's coming now to corporate worlds. It's coming to business. Modern leaders are going to fold or are going to start folding in the best practices of psychology in between nine to five. And those that are doing that are finding a competitive advantage in a meaningful way because their people are not exhausted. They're actually using psychology, the science of psychology to help lift performance, but it's not at the cost of well-being. And FOPO is definitely one of them. And so raise awareness, go from performance-based identity to purpose-based identity. We explain that in the book, which is cool. And then invest in a whole set of practices to downregulate from the intensity of the day. All of those help to relieve that, that excessive worry about being okay. And we all need to grab a copy of this book once it comes out in early November, but maybe you could take us through some of those steps, right? As the partner leader, what would be some of the things you would tell me to do? I would suggest like what we're starting just a minute ago is start your meetings with ways that you have made some mistakes or some things that you're aware of that are happening for you and start with that because it does create radical air cover. The second is to increase awareness of FOPO, that it's a thing happening and you can tie it to biology. You can tie it back to, look, it's as simple as saying our brains are designed to be accepted, to not be rejected. And that's happening here. And we might call it groupthink, we might call it biases, but what's actually happening is we just want to know that we're okay in the eyes of our teammates. And so one of the things we're going to do is let's just address that what is not okay, let's address the things that we don't want to tolerate anymore is just nodding, is just being okay with the status quo. Let's use our intellect. Let's be emotional in how we're working and let's take care of each other. Let's listen. So investing in all of the growth mindset principles. And again, growth mindset is amazingly powerful if you train your mind to be a great learner, even during moments of stress. If you don't train your mind on the basic mental skills, growth mindset at the moment of stress is thrown out the window. Survival kicks in and uh, being a true deep learner is compromised. So that's something that I would say is a, a third component here is invent. So in sport, we call it front loading. We front load mental skills training prior to a competition. We don't wait until the rapids of the competition to suggest somebody learn how to be confident, how to be calm, how to deeply focus, how to have a sense of optimism. <laughs> That's it's too late. You have to focus on the task at hand. So what we do is we give, we train ahead of time, all the mental skills, which the ones I just named are easy to develop. Confidence is so simple to train. And I'm not talking about arrogance or, or hubris. It just the basic mechanics of confidence, train them. And that comes from self-talk. So if you want to help your team be more confident, help them become aware of their self-talk. That's where mm -hmm. mindfulness sits in the conversation. And then once they're aware of their self-talk, give them the tools to directionally move toward powerful self-talk, productive self-talk, confident building self-talk, as opposed to critical or excessive worry or judgmental 
those types of self-narratives pull people down, create safety, but uh, smallness. And, it, and it, it, we're a bit like lobsters. We pull other people down too. Yes. And that, that's a way to keep us in the same situation rather than somebody else moving above the fray, if you will. I'm so excited to announce our continued partnership with AG1. Many of you know I made taking a green drink supplement part of my health ritual for over 21 years now, and it has made all the difference to my health and well-being. Over six years ago, I found Athletic Greens, and now their product, AG1, became my go-to supplement. AG1 is the first thing I take every morning to power my day. It covers all of my nutritional bases, supports my gut health, gives a boost to my immunity, and energy levels. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. That's drinkag1.com forward slash Vince M. Check it out. I will take this into the analogy of the partner leader trying to drive the organizational change and outcomes that we discuss, right? The achievement and development of a strategy to drive partner-led growth. And many times amongst themselves, instead of providing, you know, you, you, the coaching you just gave around mindfulness, uh, being self-critical, applying mindfulness to their own development, and then coming forward with the right language to drive the right results, they come back and within the room, they're all grousing about why they're not achieving the results they intended to achieve, right? And so amongst themselves, they're never really achieving yeah. it. And they're acting like outsiders to the rest of the organization rather than, I'm going to use the term influence strategy here, maybe just because it applies in a sense. It's a little crude, but bringing everyone else in the organization along with you to the desired outcome, to the right outcome and demonstrating why it's important for the business in the right way. Yeah, Vince, and I'll add to it. Like the, right now the world is demanding a better way of living. And the, we're, in the corporate settings we're saying I'm no longer going to accept being sa the sacrificial lamb or I'm, no, let me not say it that way. People are saying I'm no longer accepting the terms of business. I am not going to allow you to extract the best of me at the cost of my relationship with my family, mm. at the cost of my personal health. So what, what is being demanded right now is that leaders are saying, okay, all right, the old model's not working. What's the new model? The new model is an investment in the intersection between well-being and high performance. So it's not just high performance. It's not just productivity. Productivity is going to go the way of the dodo. That is an old frame for drop that from the lexicon right now. It's moving into that intersection between well-being as a base, like I know how to thrive in life. And then you layer on top of that high performing abilities. And if we don't have those two things in place, we're burning through people. The cost is incredibly high. So the new model for leadership are those that understand how to deploy best practices of psychology. I'm not suggesting they become psychologists. I'm, I'm suggesting that they understand the ways to deploy practice building strategies inside of the nine to five. It's as simple as three, 30 seconds to three minutes in the agenda. 
on a regular basis and to run a playbook there. And it's not every agenda, but if you were to pull six minutes once a week on one of your meetings to invest in meditation, you'd have an, an, an outsized impact on um, people just settling in for six minutes, getting a moment of recovery, maybe getting to some insight and truth about some stuff, but you're doing it together. You're saying, I see you. I recognize how hard you work. Let's invest in the recovery to make sure that we can be great in the next 45 minutes. And then maybe we'll do it again. You know, so there is enough time in our day to do this now. We're just so scared to, to create change that um, we're not doing it enough. But this is the opportunity. I'm telling you right now, it's a time for geniuses. Like This is a really exciting time for people that know that there's a better way to organize the work life. I'm thinking back to you taking us through meditation. So you as an outsider coming into the room, maybe I'll just suggest it might even be easier. But me as the leader of the team, like how do I go to my team and say, we're going to go through this practice? We're going we're gonna to spend six minutes on meditation and mindfulness. How would you suggest I do that? Oh, that's cool. So one is you, you can only lead or give what you have. So if you're, if you're so new to the process that you don't know what to say, it's probably a little too new, but, and bring somebody in to help you with that air cover. If you're so new to it that you're just, you just love it and you see the potential in it. And by the way, the research is outrageous and it's been around for <laughs> 2,600 years. There's something here. And so if you would say something like this, you'd say, all right, everyone, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to keep your unmute yourself. Okay. So where there's going to be noise in the background, no problems. Unmute yourself. You can turn your camera off if you want, but I'm asking you to, to create a space where we can do something very basic. We're going to meditate and I'm going to give you the instructions. And it's something as simple as this for the next six minutes, I'm just going to put a timer on. I'm going to do it on my phone. And all I want you to do for the next six minutes is just focus on really big inhales, somewhere like four or five seconds in, and then really nice, enjoyable exhales, something like eight, 10, 12 seconds out, somewhere in there. So the cadence is like four in, eight out, or five seconds in, 10 seconds out. And you say, all I want you to do for the next six minutes is just to focus on one breath at a time. That's it. And when your mind starts to wander, when it starts to solve all the things we need to get done today, when you start focusing on how your left butt cheek hurts or like all the things that you didn't get done this morning that you want to, then no problems. Just wink at it, say hello and goodbye to it and come back to your next exhale. And we're going to do that for six minutes. That would be a really nice, simple way to start. And then I'm also help, help, happy, Vince, to send your community like an audio file that they I can just that. play. One that I've used at multinationals and large corporations for, I'm just happy to send that to folks and we can figure that out. They can just send an email over to us and we'll get that to them. That'd be great. Maybe we can embed it in the show notes for this episode, Mike. Yeah. So very cool. we talked about the mindfulness aspects. What other aspects in this first rule, this first rule of mastery, do you go through in the book? Awareness is step number one. Mindfulness is a way to increase awareness, but talking about is another way to increase awareness. Step two is to go from a performance-based identity to a purpose-based identity. Okay. That really matters is to understand what your unique purpose is in life nice. and to start to shed and drop this, I am who I am based on how well I do something to 
the reason I'm working so hard, the reason that I'm investing in high performance is because I want to send my kids to college, is because I want to have a stable roof over my head, is because I want to feel a sense of excitement in how I design my, is because I want to build a hundred homes in across the board or whatever it might be. Right. Okay. So you get clear on your purpose. Now your intentionality is not to look good, but to serve well. And when you start Mm. to square that, when you walk on stage, one of the most dangerous things to modern humans is not wildebeest. It is unfortunately in the corporate setting, it's eyeballs. It's the way people look at you. And it's your fear that they're critiquing and judging you. That's why public speaking is so terrifying. It's FOPO. It's fear of people's opinions that's so terrifying. What are they going to do? The only thing they can do is laugh and kick you out. Okay. If you're on a purpose and you're really on it and you think of any world great Vince, any of them, Mandela, Jesus, Confucia, Mother Teresa, you list the great, their purpose was clear. Yeah. And if they walk into a room and they couldn't quite inspire the room in the right way, that's not no problem. It's not an indictment on them. It's I got to go to a different room. And so be about your purpose. And if you say, okay, how do we do that? Because it seems overwhelming, which it is. Take your time. There's three ways to do it. First, listen to yourself. Create that space and quiet time, quiet time to either write your purpose down or to meditate about it and have conversations with people of wisdom that really know you, that want the best for you and calibrate that with them. Because you share your purpose with some people, they don't want you to grow. They want you to be just the person you are relative to them because they like how they feel next to you. (laughs) This could be family, unfortunately, certainly friends. So know the right people you're gonna share your purpose with at the origins just to make sure when you push off the dock, it's not contorted by 4% 4 or 40%. An even simpler way to think about purpose, Vince, is to say, Okay, it's too big for me to think about life purpose right now. I got too much going on. All right. Then say, what is my purpose for today? Hmm. What is my purpose for this week? Hmm. What's my purpose for this month? Start to so start to practice thinking about purpose as opposed to just performance. I love what you have to say here around purpose and being true to your purpose. True. Uh, because some people try to make it look like they're purpose is always philanthropic, right? I'm trying to save world hunger or whatever that might be, where it might in fact be, I want to buy a bigger home or I want to provide for my children's college education, right? But be true to your purpose. Yeah. And for leaders to understand the power of that and create space and time and challenges for people to know their purpose and then create the space for them to share their purpose, their life purpose with each other is a radical commitment to being great teammates for each other. Team, teams don't just happen. They happen because teammates want to be great for each other. And creating that space for me to know my teammates' purpose is really cool. And also, I think for leaders, as we're just speaking right into leaders right now, is I, it, it is well worth it to go look at uh, DC and Ryan, two psychologists, and their self-determination theory. And thinking about how you can understand their insights on motivation to help people work from the inside out and the great levers that you can manipulate for the benefit of others is to help them become competent in something that matters to them. 
And then when they demonstrate brilliances or glimpses of competence, celebrate the wildness out of it. So competence is one of them. We want to get better at stuff. Okay. And the second is belonging and relationships, investing in the relationships outside of the transactional nature of work. So relate, and I'm not saying that we need to know everything about somebody. I'm saying that to know that there's a person inside of each one of your direct reports, know that person and get them to know each other just a little bit better. And then the third is fostering a sense of autonomy that they are making decisions on who and how and when and why. And when you do that one, you also have to lift them up to the level of accountability. Mm. So if they want autonomy, you've got to also say, okay, now <laughs> come. there's a little bit of responsibility that comes with autonomy. What do you think? You want to share some of this accountability? And then most people say, yeah, I'm, bet on me. And so like autonomy, relationships, and then development of competence. That's how we help people to work from the inside out as well. I keep coming back to purpose because you measured it. Didn't have you, you could start off with what is my purpose today? What is my purpose this week? Maybe what is the purpose for my team from an organizational purpose? Or how does my purpose influence the larger purpose of the organization? And I, I think what I listen when I listen to what you had to say here, it's also getting people aligned to your purpose, maybe. And maybe on board with your purpose because that becomes a collective purpose that we try to drive together whether it be through an organization or a collective, whatever we're looking to strive to do. I think that is one of the great insights from what I consider one of the great CEOs of our time, Satya Nadella from Microsoft, is who you've seen up close, the the impact of his work is to, to help people first for the company to know their purpose. Okay. And then to make this bold statement that he makes is that, I I want you to figure out how your purpose and Microsoft's purpose can be aligned in so much that Microsoft's purpose is in service of your purpose. It's amazing as a platform generative human based approach to say, we know our purpose. We know what we're doing. We're trying to help every person and organization on the planet achieve more period. Okay. So that's what we're collectively trying to do. What is your purpose? And can Microsoft's purpose be in service of what your unique purpose is? That is radical. I'm inspired by it. And that's what I want to do at Finding Mastery. And we're at this point a consulting services business for organizations. That's what I want us to do for each one of our people inside of Microsoft. I'm sorry, inside of our company is to be in service of Microsoft, true, and other multinationals or corporations, but also like for each of us to be totally tuned to our unique purpose and have Finding Mastery be in service of it. It's rad. I'm like, go Satya. <laughs> it applies to me as well, right? When I got out of, I want to build the business to X and said, my mission is to help other organizations achieve their greatest results and to be of service to them. And I'm dedicating the rest of my career. I'm at a certain point in my career where I can see the end game. And I'm fully committed to that as an objective. It's radically changed the way I approach my business as well, Mike. Yeah, that is awesome. So what what other learnings can we take from the book? Obviously, we're going to provide links so people can order it. I have mine on order. I can't wait to get it. I pre-read some of it as well. But what other great learnings and teachings can we take from the book today to apply immediately to our lives? Oh, I think the big one is to have a conversation with people in your home or your workforce about 
what is it like for you when you think about your teammates when they're when they are potentially thinking about how you're doing? What is that? And just open up the conversation. Say, hey, I learned this thing called FOPO today, fear of people's opinions. And I don't know, this kind of passionate author, <laughs> the supplied scientist says that it's one of the great constrictors of human potential. What do you guys think? I, I think it shows up in my life. Just bring it up. Yeah. And the conversation alone really does matter. And I don't want to overcomplicate it. Mindfulness, moving from a performance-based identity to purpose-based, and then knowing that your brain, your powerful brain is just trying to keep you alive. And when you outsource your sense of being okay to other people, it's a pretty dangerous position to be in. Yeah. And then there's also really good interest in research in the book that we found from Professor Gilovich at Cornell that most people are not paying attention to us. Your grandma said that to us a long time ago, right? Is that people are not really paying attention to you as much as you think they are. According to his research, she was right. <laughs> and so people are not paying attention at the way. Matter of fact, only 25%, it's a fun bit of research about it. Only 25% of people really are tuning to us at any given point in time. Such great teachings, Mike. And Hit Refresh is on the bookshelf right behind here. You mentioned Saadia. Page five references your time with the executive leadership team at Microsoft and the change yeah. that, that the change has been you use the term radical. It was a radical change. 10X the organization. You've worked with Olympians. You've worked with Super Bowl champions, Russell Wilson and the team in the Seahawks. What other things would you prescribe to them right now around this, this first rule of mastery? They're on it. I would. Ju- so this is how I mostly point towards the future with the, the extraordinaries that I work with, is that everything you need is already inside you. Mm. Is that... Um, our relationship is meant to explore the way that you've solved things successfully in the past and bring those forward. And so everything you need is already inside you. How do you want to go about this experiment or this challenge, this opportunity that we have ahead? And so it's, it's the how, not the what. How do you want to go about it? The what's are easy. I want to win a gold medal. I want to get to the games. I want to have a billion dollars in my bank account or a hundred thousand in my bank account. Okay. The what is simple. That, that is not hard to do. It is how do you want to be you on the path towards that? And if the what is not transactional, the what is more connected to your purpose, the big thing that you want to experience across life. And then you say, how am I going to get after it? So now we, when I'm working with the best in the world, I'm like, okay, whether it's like Olympic Games or Super Bowl championship, how do you want to show up you know, in the tunnel? How do you want to show up the first time you're on the mound or the first time that you're, you have the ball in your hand or the first time you walk on stage? How? And they go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I want to be, and they describe it. I want to be calm and confident. I want to be focused. Or I want to be smooth and chill. Or I want to be like a, like a hyena. I want to be just like a pack animal that is, okay, whatever your thing is, no problems. Now, once we have that target, we work backwards and say, what are the mental skills that are going to allow that to be true? And it's, it really is not all that complicated, but it is so exceptionally rare that it ends up being a radical differentiator. When mixing stories, when Satya, we're in day one with Satya's work and we're about two hours in and we started to talk about clarifying first principles clarifying one's philosophy of life. And he looks to his 15 direct reports, looks left, look right, and he, he says, 
we, we've got something bold that we're trying to do here. We're going to need each other. I want to know you. I want to know exactly what your best looks like. I want to know how to support it. I want you to know what gets me tripped up. We need to know each other to be great for each other. And at that moment, I was like, this is great leadership. This is not just strategy execution. Damn it. Why didn't it get done? What's wrong with our team? What's wrong with this, that, that, that blaming and whatever. It was a rich understanding that the relationships and the way we work is going to be at the center of this whole thing. And so it's been awesome <laughs> to watch what the teams have built there. So, such great learnings, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have one more question. And I know yeah. we are on a short timeline here, but the world is in turmoil, right? Geopolitically, economically. How can your work, how can how does your work or how can your work help all of us during this time, Mike? I will tell you what I feel and I will tell you what I use my imagination towards. What I feel is the anxiety that people are working from, the deep fear of the future not working out okay. And we are hurt and let down when people are not seeing us and responding with our best interests at heart. It's not the political, it's not the philosophical differences in ideas. It's the idea that we're just so tormented by being let down or being dismissed mm. that we go into deeply troubled behaviors. And it's sad. And it's fueled by anxiety and rigid thinking that there's only one real right way to go through life. Yeah. And so we start to narrow down uh, the potential avenues for thinking. I think that what I use my imagination for is to imagine that there's the worlds that I'm in, the environments or the teams or the places that I go to, that one in five people are, are flourishing. And you say, that's it? One in five? Yeah. If we had 20% of every room that we're in where people are just animated and lit up and generative and compassionate and empathetic and strong and principle-based and expansive and adaptable, easily adjust in their life rather than being rigid and pessimistic and anxiously ridden and intolerant and frustrated, like those are orthogonal. And if we could decrease the amount of time people spent in those agitated states and increase the amount of time that people are spending in the generative spaces and the adaptable uh, mindsets, we're, we're totally going to change the world. So one in five is like the critical mass that I'm trying to invest in. And I just see a, a better way when people are flourishing. And to do that, we need to work from the inside out. And then if we match the outside in resources, we got something. It takes both inside out and outside in, but it's a first, it's a commitment from the inside out. And then we match the, the right resources in the right way. And I think that's how we change the world. I love it. With that, Mike, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. So great. So excited for this time as you release your first book and we'll provide links in our show notes. Hopefully everyone will get their own copy. Oh, I, it would be so meaningful to me if folks would say, I see what you're trying to do and I'm going to support it with a pre-order. And I would love that. And I think there's some real good that comes from the applied science and the stories that we're sharing. So thank you, Vince. Always appreciate our partnership. And I'm happy to know you and be in service of your purpose as well. I feel the same as well, Mike. And so great to have you back again 
on the podcast and appreciate your work and the service that you do for all of us as well. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Take care, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.